Guys, grab your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 2. I made a a statement to the the Wednesday night crowd that um, I had to go to the doctor to have my vocal cords looked at because I thought I had done some damage. I don't think that you even remember that, but that's okay. I just wanted to let you know um, there is nothing wrong uh, except, he said, Age. Uh, so you might be seeing me more frequently uh, uh, use a cup of water. So one more um, uh, system that is not as efficient as it used to be. <clears throat> uh, you follow as I read the first 30 verses out of Daniel chapter 2. This is a long story. Uh, we won't get to the second half of it until after Easter. But uh, we're only going to do half of the story today. But you uh, follow as I read the first 30 verses. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream. And my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation... You shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven 
concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the God of, be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known the king To the king, the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have, I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God, oh, that endures forever. Guys, there are, there are two books in the Old Testament, and I'm sure you've read them from time to time. They, uh, it is First Kings and Second Kings. And as you might expect, those two books are about kings, sort of. They're really more books of Jewish history is what they are. They're, what those two books give you is, is accounts about certain kings and when they reigned and what country they were in and what they did and how they died and that's what first and second kings were all about. But my point is that the book of Daniel is about kings also. Four of them. Actually, there's really more than four. There's a fifth, but his name is not included in the book. Uh, it was the son of Nebuchadnezzar who only reigned two years and he was assassinated. So he's not mentioned in the book. But there are four kings that are mentioned in the book of Daniel. There's Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Belshazzar, Darius the Mede, and Cyrus the Persian. So my point is, Daniel outlived at least five kings, if not more. 
Um, <clears throat> there's, there's those four that I mentioned, and then um, the one that is not mentioned, that he, um, he lived in this area while these five guys were doing what kings do. But the book of Daniel, the, the, this book that we're reading from, is really about another king who is um, who is named, but he's not seen. He's the he's the king that that pops in and out of this book with a with a stirring message about his sovereignty over human affairs. And he uses the life of Daniel as a chalkboard to to describe himself and to to write or, or to send a message to the rest of us. And and each of these little stories that are so famous and so well known and so enjoyable to read, there is this subtle, understated, um, embedded invitation. To give your life to the king. To have underneath you the, the bedrock certainty that though kings and their kingdoms, they come and they go, they rise and they fall, they wax and they wane. But to those who belong to the king, they can enjoy a, a certain calm, a steadiness, a a repose while the world around them is, is seemingly crumbling all around them. Now, guys, it is into that collage of kings, all these kings, that God strides and stakes a claim that he is the one that rules over all of them. Uh, It's mentioned there in verses 20 through 23. In the history of man, there is a king of kings. Now, one of the messages, guys, that I hope that you will derive from our study of this book is that Christians can snatch a measure of hope while kingdoms are waxing and waning and rising and falling and appearing and disappearing in the midst of all kinds of political and geopolitical turbulence, there's a certain calm that Christians can't have and should have. Now, that message about this king of kings is given, it's, it's entrusted to a man whose name is Daniel. I want to remind you just a little bit about Daniel. First of all, he's a slave. Um, He is also an outsider. He's a member of a minority group. And he is living in in the midst of a culture when pagans rule, and they not only rule, but they scoff at what Daniel represents. And, And not only that, he is in exile, which is kind of understandable if you're a bad guy, but what if you're a good guy like Daniel? Does God really treat his, his faithful people this badly? Now, into that setting, 
where this, this, this believer is a slave and an outsider and he's being scoffed at and he is an exile. Into that setting, this book speaks to all of us who belong to the same king that Daniel belonged to. Guys, I want to look at this story, or at least half of it. As I said, we'll have to look at the other half. It'll be after Easter when we look at the other half. We're going to look at this story, at least half of it. <coughs> Pardon me. We're going to look at half of it uh, this way. First of all, how little it takes to rock one's world. Secondly, um, how little the world has to offer by way of wisdom. And thirdly, how much is ours who belong to Christ? We'll look at that story under those three headings. Let's stop. Let's start like this. How little it takes to rock one's world. Gang, um, again, this is uh, a king with all of his pomp and his power and all of his money and all his big army that's surrounding him. And a dream brings him to his knees. We've all had one of those. Um, that's described in verse one that, that was troubling and woke him up and his, and his uh, sleep left him. But this is a man who is the, the most powerful leader in the entire world at that time. And he is stopped dead in his tracks while God pries open his conscience and drops a little dream in there. Gang, the war of all wars is when a man is at war within himself. And that's what you're seeing. There, there is no voice that is more influential in my life than my own. There, there, is, there is one voice that I cannot refuse to listen to. My own. And that's what's going on in Daniel. Humanly, or in Nebuchadnezzar, humanly speaking, no man should have been or could have been more secure than Nebuchadnezzar. But the one conquest that no rebellious man can ever have is over his own conscience. That thing will make cowards of all of us. You know, I, I guess the, um, the most famous, I guess, Illustration of, of that kind of operation is Dickens' Christmas Carol. You remember him, Ebenezer Scrooge? He was the, um, the, the spin-thrift, miserly, mean, anti-social, wintry old guy. And he had an employee by the name of Bob Cratchit. And Bob Cratchit had a, had an ailing son whose name was Tiny Tim. And, it all takes place on a on a Christmas Eve, and and uh, Bob Marley, the old, um, I mean Scrooge's old dead partner, shows up to warn him that there are three spirits that are about to visit him, and it's the spirit from Christmas past, and the spirit from Christmas present, and the spirit of Christmas is yet to come. And so he takes him through all of this, and the spirit of Christmas present tells him that within a year, Tiny Tim's going to die if he doesn't get some help, and. But then it's that, that spirit of the Christmas yet to come who comes in the chains, you know, and they go out to the cemetery and they, they go to a tombstone and, and, on, and, he, and he walks around the tombstone and there on the front of the name of the tombstone is his name. 
Ebenezer Scrooge. And, and he, his, his conscience stalks him and, and ultimately changes him. And you know the story how he goes back and, and, um, brings all these gifts to the Cratchit family and, and Tiny Tim is made well and all because God pried open. Well, actually, that's a, it's a piece of fiction, but because of the prying open of a conscience, a conscience that operates and brings him to it. It, it only takes, it only takes a dream. That's all it takes for, uh, for Ebenezer Scrooge, for Nebuchadnezzar, and for you and me. It's all it takes. In the midst of all the pomp and the power and the show and the army and the money and all the success and the reputation, all it takes is a dream that's dropped into the pride open conscience because God has access to it. The second thing that I, I want you to notice that in the midst of this troubling situation for Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to notice how little, how little the world offers him in, in terms of wisdom. Um, you know, he's, he's driven almost crazy to, to utter madness. And so he calls in all of his enchanters and his soothsayers and his magicians. And he says, all right, fellas, um, help me out here. Um, And this is what they get from him. Verse 10. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. (laughs) Um, We we haven't got what you want or, or what you need. No man on earth has that. You know, Job says it in a way. This is out of the book of Job. He says, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. Nope, it's not found. Not in the land of the living, it's not, oh, king. Um, um, and then, then they go on to add that even the gods. But, I mean, we'd like to help you with the gods, but no, they're, they're, they're remote, they're, they're inaccessible and they won't be any help to you. Nobody alive can help you, Nebuchadnezzar, or give you what you want. And not only that, our gods are, they're unavailable. You know, guys, um, my point is, I think what you see there is just this tragic picture of everything the world has to offer you. Which is nothing. How pitiful is this plight of men who are separated from God? All of here he is at the point of madness, and he's being told uh, what you need is <laughs> is pretty much unavailable. I know you're losing your mind. I know your situation is really bad, and I know that you've lost all sense of connection with any sense of calm but basically we got nothing for you 
Not me, not them, not here, not there, not now, not later, not ever. We got nothing for you. Oh, I know that life has not worked out for you, but I got nothing for you. Make the best of it. Buck up. Because there's nothing here. Wisdom doesn't lie in the land of the living. There's no man alive that can help you. And then we're told in verse 12, Nebuchadnezzar's furious. I don't blame him. I, I would be too. That's a, that's a legitimate response to saying, wait a minute. I've got legitimate questions and I'm looking for some legitimate answers. And all you can tell me is nothing. Desperation makes people do some wild things, ladies and gentlemen. Desperate men do desperate things. When my life um, hasn't turned out exactly the way I had hoped, when the life that I had planned for myself didn't come to fruition, and happiness seems to elude me, even taunt me, and, and everything that I've tried comes up empty, then I just might take some drastic actions like um, go out and have an affair. Or um, I may even drink myself into oblivion. I may take my life. And the best thing that Clinical psychology can tell you is you're having a midlife crisis or or you're a control freak. But at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, here's where the world drops you off. It drops you off at the end of verse 11. Right after that quotation mark there. I don't know about your translations, but I remember when I was studying this, <clears throat> right after that quotation mark in my translation, there's this blank space right after the quotation mark. And that's where all of the wisdom and all of the gods of the world drops you. Right in that little blank space. And there I am, stuck with all of my fears, with all of my problems. I don't have any answers. I'm just living in a blank space. Now, it's no wonder that people blow their tops. You know, back when I was in seminary, but he's still real, he's still right, widely read and widely quoted these days. The guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer. Remember that name, Francis Schaeffer? He was the one that was the founder of Labrie, the ministry in Switzerland. Um, but... 
Francis Schaeffer wrote several books, and I think this was his first one. I'm not sure it was his first one, but it was certainly at least among his his first few. But the book was entitled An Escape from Reason. And in that book, Francis Schaeffer said that when you're you're trying to um, share the gospel with someone, what you're trying to do is to get them to the place where they realize they're in that blank space right there. That the only options they really have are yielding to Christ and suicide. That's what he said. That when we speak to people about their need, the goal of that conversation is to bring them to the place where they realize I'm stuck with all my fears, all my hurts, all my problems, right there in a blank space. Nobody's got any answers in the meeting for me. Why live? He was criticized for that. Schaefer was. And his, um, he said, the criticism was, that's so cruel. Cruel. It's where they are anyway. Stuck in a blank space, dropped off with all their fears and no answers. And then thirdly, I want you to notice how much is ours who belongs to Christ. Into that vacuum, that, that blank space, that, that unstable vacuum now enters one who represents a whole new possibility. He represents a whole new counterculture. A living right there under their noses, right there inside the kingdom of men. He's, his name is Daniel. And, and he belongs to, he belongs to another king. He belongs to the one that's not, 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 not visible. And, and he, he belongs to the one king that nobody bows to, except a, a handful, he and three of his friends. He's the one who has been pushed so far to the edges and the margins of the culture that they don't even know that he's existed anymore. And yet, the only hope that Babylon has, the only hope that Nebuchadnezzar has, the only hope that these uh, magicians and soothsayers have is Daniel. And, and what he... Um, what he stands for. These people don't know it, ladies and gentlemen. But their only hope for survival lies in the hands of some slaves, some foreigners, some disenfranchised, some marginalized. Their only hope to make it through this lies with them. The stage is set. For Daniel to enter, and, and enter he does. But to guys, uh, let me say again, this is not about Daniel. This is not a story about Daniel versus the soothsayers. It's a story about Daniel's God versus the God of the soothsayers. 
their gods, they don't know the dream, and they certainly can't know the interpretation. They don't know the answers, but they don't even know the right questions to ask. They, they can't, they can't ask, come up with the right answers because they don't have the right questions. What they're, what they're longing for, what they need is wisdom. That, that thing that, that the book of Proverbs talks about as being so valuable. That's what they need. Oh yeah, the, the stuff that, uh, she's more precious than jewels and nothing that you can desire compares with her wisdom. But they don't have that. You know, guys, um, 90% of our lives are lived beyond the rule book. Some decisions are cut and dried. Like, um, should I rob a bank next week? Nah, I don't need to think about that. Should I, um, should I cheat on my income tax? I don't need to. I mean, it's right there in the rule book. Should I, I mean, do I need to have an affair? Ah, that's, that's pretty clear. But ladies and gentlemen, that's only 10% of life. The, the 90% of it is lived outside of the rule book. Where do I go to school? Do I take this job promotion? Where do I send my kids to school? Should I marry this guy? Should I stop dating this girl? What's required there is, there's, there's not a rule book for that. What's required is, is wisdom. What, what, what I want and what I need is someone to tell me how life works. I, um, I don't want good decisions. I want wise decisions. I, I want, I want to, I want to be competent in the face of the complexities of life. That's what wisdom is. Competency in the, in the face of the complexities of life. Science can give me the facts, but it can never give me wisdom. Science can tell me what is, but it cannot tell me what ought to be. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you notice this in the story. Neither can Daniel. Daniel makes that very clear. I didn't give you this, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, verse 30. This is not coming from me. What Daniel does know is that he knows the source. He knows where to go. And that's what you see him doing in verses 17 and 18. He calls his friends around and says, listen, we need to pray. And then in verse 19, I tried to slow down when I read it. I hope you heard that. But in verse 19, it says he gets it because God revealed it. It's not that he figured it out. It's not that he um, read a book. God revealed it. And then in verses 20, 21, 22, and 23, Daniel bursts in this, in this song of praise because he's heard from the source of wisdom and he can't wait. He can't wait to get into Nebuchadnezzar's presence and tell him this. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the sum of this book of Daniel. Actually, it's the sum of the book. It's in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar. There is a God in heaven. 
I know you forgot that, Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven. And, and, and let me tell you about him. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Nebuchadnezzar, that means you and me. He, he puts kings in places and he takes them out. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, he gives wisdom to the wise and, and knowledge to those who have understanding. That is, wisdom is his to give to whomever he sees fit, whenever and however he wants. And guys, that's the great message of this book. It's not about Daniel. It's about God. God and his power. God and his sovereignty. God and his wisdom. It's all put on display. Whenever, wherever, however he sees fit. It's, um, it's the most hated message in America today. <laughs> it's the most hated message in the world today. When the sovereign God tells man who wants to be sovereign himself that he isn't. Nebuchadnezzar, you're not in charge here, Bubba. You know, gang, the most dangerous delusion of all is the delusion of my own sovereignty. That I'm somehow in charge. And that's the book that, that's the point that this book would have you hear, and it makes it over and over and over again. All of us have got to know. Just how dependent we really are. And yet, listen, no man ever gets to that spot until God gives him his own personal privatized dream. No one ever comes to the place where they recognize and yield to the sovereign God and his Savior until God gives him his dream. Until God gives him a set of circumstances to convince him. To convince him that you're a mess. And you don't have any answers as to how to figure out how to get out of your mess. The last solution you came up with was the bottle. You're a mess. And you've got no solutions out of your messiness. Ernest Hemingway, Sigmund Freud, Frederick Nietzsche, they all committed suicide. They all came to the place where they saw their option was... um, Yield to this Christ or suicide.
And they chose a very rational option. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the scary thing for me, uh, if I were listening to this, is not that is that God is the one who has the wisdom. The scary thing for me is that maybe, maybe he'll never give me my dream. The one that will convince me that I need him, that I'm not in charge. The one that will awaken me. The one that will frighten me. The one that will tell me that I need this God. What if he doesn't give me that dream? Am I going to end up like Ernest Hemingway? Ladies and gentlemen, there is a God in heaven to whom belongs all wisdom. And he reveals the deep and hidden things. He, re- he knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's in the future. He's the one without an army, without a country, And I am more sure of his existence, said Malcolm Muggeridge, than I am of my own. So was Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, your problem is that you've never yielded to that God who is in heaven. But the good news, ladies and gentlemen, is that I can belong to him. Who wants Nebuchadnezzar as a king when Nebuchadnezzar is as fouled up as I am? Babylon offers me nothing. When will you realize that? When will you realize that the only thing that the world can do is drop you off right after verse 11? Stuck with your pain. Stuck with your questions. Stuck with your fears. Stuck with your emptiness. Stuck with your purposelessness. And no answers. Gang, the Bible introduces Babylon in Genesis 10. 10th chapter of the Bible. As the center of Nimrod's kingdom. Chapter 11 of Genesis, the 11th chapter of the Bible, is the whole story of the Tower of Babylon. The Tower of Babel took place in Babylon. And then you go to the end of the book, the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 18, and Babylon is used as an illustration of all the wickedness that man can possibly come up with. Being destroyed. Or. There is a God in heaven. Those are your two options. Babylon. Or. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I should have died. 
Our Father, I pray that you will um, remind us from this story that uh, everything that the world has to offer, the best that they have to offer is, is an empty space and leaves me with all of my fears and my pain. And I, um, along with Daniel, bless you as the one who removes kings and sets up kings, the one who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, the one who gives it as he sees fit. And I pray, O God, that you will um, draw your people's attention to the beauty of their position of all that belongs to us because we are in Christ. And we who are, we bless you that you opened, you pried open our conscience at some point in our lives and convinced us that we were sinful, so much so that our only hope was found in a God-provided Savior. We bless you, O God, that you have drawn us to yourself. I pray that you will do it again. Not because Daniel spoke, and not because Jimmy Young did, but because you did. Speak, O God, who resides in heaven. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.